you are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Locked On Jazz for the 17th of May, a Donovan Mitchell season in review. Can anything be more fun than that? We'll talk about game two last night, the Rockets of the Warriors. Really should be listening to me right now. I've never been this accurate for this long. And your questions in segment three coming up. It's all on Locked On Jazz. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA Insider. I hope you're doing great. Thanks very much for tuning in to today's program. A lot of fun things coming up. We'll look at Donovan Mitchell's season review, and that's just a great deal of fun. We should just talk about Donovan Mitchell every single day. Uh, we'll do that. Uh, today's show, uh, by the way, Locked on NBA has a very good uh, episode with the scout. It's my mellow, chill scout, um, which I know some people have a hard time with, but if you just listen to the information, it's actually pretty good. Um, and then we also, uh, LockedOnSports.com has for you all of the Locked on Podcast networks that go up each and every day. Uh, it should be great. All right, let's look at Donovan. Kid's incredible, right? I mean... I actually I'm going to look at this a little bit in the sense of trying to talk about where he needs to improve and what the next step is. But the kid's incredible. Some of the rookie records he set are because pace is a little faster and things like that are going on, but not but most of them are not. Most of them are he simply was doing things that kids at his age and his experience have never done before. Um he finished the year at 21 points a game. He finished the year at 4 rebounds and 4 assists playing 33% of his time at a position that he point guard that he didn't know how to really doesn't play. Um, we were much better when he was on the floor than off the floor. Uh, he was able to do it with only 25% of his two point possessions assisted, which is incredible. Uh, he only had 10% of his three point field goals assisted, which is incredible. Uh, you, you can just kind of keep running from piece to piece to piece about this kid, uh, and we will. 24 points a game in the playoffs. Uh, this, for a guy who is freshman year, averaged seven points a game. The upward trajectory of where he's going is just incredible. Playoffs, he had to spend 40% of his time as the point guard after the Rubio injury. Um, he finished the year... Uh, finishing 64% of his field goals at the rim, which is an insane number, and we'll get into some of these areas uh, where he's been, a- what he's been able to do. We will. Uh, I want to do the regular cleaning the glass thing that we've been doing uh, with all the players, though cleaning the glass, some of the best stuff they do is year-to-year uh, work, and we don't have that. But his usage rate was in the 90th percentile. So as a rookie in his first year, he had a 29% usage rate, was simply asked to do everything. 57th uh, in points per shot att- percent, on sh- percent of shot attempts, 47th in assist rate. Um, his, you know, his assist rate to usage rate was probably uh, low. He, his effective field goal percentage for players at his position was in the 57th percentile, and the three-point shooting was in the 36th percentile. So this will touch on here in a minute of what his next – uh, steps are percentage of his shots where he took his shots um, he took fi- he was in the 57th percentile of rim shots he was in the uh, 29th percentile of corner threes 63rd percentile of non so most of his shots came above the break uh, or a higher percentage of his shots came above the break than just about anything and he's only in the 25th percentile of those 
and only 36th percentile overall of all threes, as we talked about earlier. But only the 25th percentile on above-the-break threes. It's a pretty interesting point there that we'll dig into because that's where he gets even better. There's this clear, obvious spot where Donovan Mitchell can get even better, where there's an obvious flaw in his game where he can improve, which is an incredible concept for a player who had an unequal rookie year. 20 points a game as a rookie. Blake Griffin was the last one in 2010-11. So you can tell me it's increased tempo and everything like that, but nobody's done it in seven years. Tyreek Evans did it in 0-9-10. Two guys in the last 10 years. Six guys in the last 20 years. Durant, Carmelo, LeBron, and Elton Brand. Scoring 20 as many times as he did as a rookie, only Carmelo and Blake Griffin have done it more. Scoring it 25 times in a rookie. This is in the last recent stretch. Only Blake Griffin and Carmelo did it more. Last rookie to average 20 points a game with an effective field goal percentage of over uh, 50s. I think, what did, he, what did Donovan finish at? Donovan finished with his effective field goal percentage is 50.8. Last guy to do that, Blake Griffin was at 50.8. Tim Duncan was at 55. Shaq, Alonzo Mourning, David Robinson, Michael Jordan. I mean, there just aren't guards. Walter Davis did it in 77-78. There just aren't guards that do this. Second half scoring, number one in the in the history since they've kept first half, second half scoring, which was 2002. So that's 16 years. He took almost all of the clutch possessions and did pretty well. It's just incredible. And then a bunch of little weaknesses got exposed in the playoffs, which is exactly what you think should happen. So he missed his first 17 shots in the paint, non-restricted area against the Rockets. Okay? He's got to figure out what does he do if he can't get all the way to the rim. Great. Uh, He scored 30 points twice in the playoffs, I believe. He was the ninth player to do that as a rookie. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, David Robinson, Alonzo Mourning, Michael Jordan, Marcus Johnson, Elvin Hayes, Tim Duncan, Larry Bird. Who are we kidding? Right? 12th player to score 133 points in his first five playoff games. It's just incredible. All-time single-season three-point record. While not necessarily being good at them yet. And then there's the areas of growth. He starts the year 21 of 43, the really specific, at the rim. And finishes the year around 65%. Now, interestingly enough... When you start to break some of these things down for the playoffs, I thought it was interesting. So he's in the playoffs, he was able to finish. This is where defenses are better. They might know your weaknesses. He still finished at 63% at the rim in the playoffs. Incredible. Paint non-restricted area, 22%. Right? Pretty, pretty ugly in that Rocket series. He finished. He goes 0 for 4, 0 for 6, 0 for 6, 1 for 3, 1 for 3. Mid-range shots, just 5 of 16. You don't want to take a lot of them, but you got to make better than 31%. Corner 3, 6 of 19. And then here's the really interesting one on Donovan. In the playoffs, above the break 3, 27%. So we go back to the, the cleaning the glass numbers on Donovan. Again, I, I am I am looking at this a little bit with the eye of, okay, what what I think is most... 
fascinating about Donovan Mitchell is that there is a glaring weakness to his game that is fixable while he was simultaneously brilliant. To me, that's that's what I find the most important part of what's going on here. So the above-the-break three for Donovan, 27% during the playoffs, 32% for the year. Now let's dig in like a little bit more on it, okay? And get into, so why is he struggling on that? Well, we get back to the fact that only 10% of his threes are assisted. So it would be nice if he becomes more of a catch-and-shoot guy. That would help him out. For this playoffs, he took five off-the-bounce threes a game. Almost all of those are above the break, by the way. And hit 29%. It's not good enough. It's, it's also a very difficult shot for a rookie. In the reg, let's, let's break this down further. In the regular season, that's exactly what he did also. 29%. Post-All-Star break, as fatigue kicked in, he was 27%. So, for the entire season, 29% on off-the-bounce threes, he took four a game. During the playoffs, that number got up to five a game. He stayed at 29%. Post-All-Star break, he was at 27% at four and a half a game. That, I think he fixes. I don't think he's Dame, I don't like the Damian Lillard comparison because I don't think he's as natural a shooter as Dame. I, I just, I think Dame's a better shooter. I, I don't mean that in any kind of critical level to Donovan. I just, if I'm going to compare their games, Dame's not a natural finisher. Donovan's a natural finisher. Dame came in the league and shot 36%. Uh, 37% his first year, taking six a game, then went to 39. I just, and then he went to 34, and now he's back up at 37. I just think he's a natural three-point shooter at 37% that's a little different than Donovan. Okay? You can agree or disagree. I think there's some other similarities, but that's a skill set where I think that comparison is flawed. But what may be comparable is that Dame takes... Five of those off-the-bounce threes a game. Now, in Dame, in 13-14, Dame took three of them a game and made 37%. So this was a skill. He slipped a little bit the next year at 34%. The next year he went to 35%. The next year he went to 36%. And last year he was back up at 37% on off-the-bounce threes, just progressively walking it up. Dame's incredible, and he's taking more and more. And this is where... He will have. That's the next step for Donovan. But he, but he didn't. Dame didn't start at twenty-seven percent. Okay. Um. That that's really the kid's incredible. And to me, what's most exciting about him is that there are two areas of his offensive game where he can still noticeably improve. Um. Few other notes on him. Pick and roll ball handler, he was good, but he only shot an effective field goal percentage of 43% and 38% overall field goal percentage off the pick and roll. Spot up shooting. And this is where I think so this is catch and shoot. I think this is a if you can get him playing a little more off guard, almost like a Clay Thompson at time, I think he would be benefact 
a benefit to him to not have the ball in his hands all the time. His spot-up shooting, he was in the 96th percentile of all players in the NBA. Off the handoff, he was average. Off isolation, he was average, which is important. He had 129 isolation attempts uh, this year and was in the 52nd percentile as a rookie. And as you're watching in the playoffs right now, everyone's switching everything, so isolation's becoming more and more important. Uh, the other one, by the way, that I think is neat on Donovan was that little number we had kind of throughout the year of what a high percentage everyone shot off his passes. Now, the next step is I think he's got to make those passes from the paint a little bit more. I can actually dig into that and look at it. Isolations this year, by the way, um, Donovan Mitchell did not, we don't play, play, had the 27th most isolation attempts in the league, 274. Now, the most were both LeBron and James Harden, over 1,000, so it's a pretty, pretty big difference. And Donovan was at 0.9 points per isolation and that is a fairly low number for those elite guys. Dennis Smith was lower. Um, Chris Middleton was kind of in that range. Bradley Beal, Paul George were much lower. Uh, he's better than that. He's right about the Giannis level of isolation, which Giannis doesn't have the jump shot. So that's probably another little. Jason Tatum and him were the same. He'll figure that out and he'll get a little bit better. There's just so much to be excited about on this kid in just a truly incredible season. Uh, today's show is brought to you by my good friend Devin Cash of Equity Real Estate. He's been the well, sponsor with us forever, and he is really kind of, I, I guess he's like probably the official realtor of, of the show. He's never gotten that title. But what he's done, he's helped out so many of our guys, and we really appreciate it. Richard Mulham was the last one who emailed me and said, you know, Devin just, Throughout the process, lived up to all the hype I'd heard about. He was extremely professional, responsive. We never felt like we were rushed. It was my wife's first time through the process. He explained every step with simplicity and patience. It was a seller's market, so we ended up looking at about 30 to 40 houses and put in offers on seven before we finally found ours. In the end, we got the perfect house we were looking for in a quiet neighborhood in Clinton, Utah. That is the essence of Devin Cash. And the first day I ever met him, he said to me, I approach real estate from the view and the eyes of a teacher. And that is exactly who Devin Cash has been this whole time and why we appreciate him so much. If you are looking in the market to buy a house or if you just kind of want to look at it this summer and figure out what's going on, Devin will do a market analysis for you. Give Devin a call at 801-759-1495 or send him a text. 801-759-1495. That's 801-759-1495. All right, there seem to be a ton of questions that are coming in. I was going to talk about what happened last night in Rockets Warriors, uh, but I feel like there's more things that people want to talk about here on questions. So let me get to those. Matt Moon, can you introduce me to Joe Ingles? Of course. Hi, Crystal. Good morning. Um, Randy, can you introduce me to Matt Moon? Seems like a reasonable request. How much money do you we have to spend in the offseason cap room? So that is a really complicated question because it spends to all sorts of variables. What Dennis has built is uh, a pretty nice flexibility uh, for this team. But so right now, uh, well, let's get to, there's a few various pieces here. Uh, First, we need to get the 2018 NBA salary cap and luxury tax number for next season, which I don't think is out yet. Um, Sport Track does a great job with this, but we're projecting for the 18-19 season 
that the cap's going to be about 101 and the luxury tax is about 123. It seems to be what you're looking at. Now, there's all sorts of different things, but Utah is sitting on one level at like 89 million, which would mean we have a bunch of money. Um, and we could have as much as $25 million of cap space. But really, the practical number we have is about $11 million cap space, and then that starts to disappear depending what you do with Dante Exum, uh, what you do with Derek Favors, and what you do with some of the other players. So first thing is Dante is currently uh, on the books with a qualifying offer of about $6.6 million. There's a chance that Dante just takes that qualifying offer. And says, you know what, I want to play next year, 82 games, show who I am. Because I, his agent in the restricted market might decide, it seems unlikely, but that's a possibility. Okay, So Derek's on the books for nothing. So anything you take give to Derek suddenly takes away cap space. Tavo Cephalosh is on the books for $5 million, but you can release him. It's non-guaranteed. Epe Udo's on the books for $3.3 million, and you can release him, but it's not in the books. But you better make sure you know you have Derek Favors coming back because Udo's a pretty awesome backup center to Rudy Gobert because when you're playing Rudy Gobert $22.7 million, the fact is you probably are only able to pay your backup center about $3.3 million. That, like So that if you think about the luxury tax at $101 million, in the simplest sense, you've got about $25 million to spend for you got about $20 million for each position. So if you're suddenly at $25 million, and really it's, if you think about this, the luxury tax is one twenty three. So you're you're building about a hundred and twenty million dollar hundred between a hundred and hundred and twenty million dollar salary. Hundred million means you've got twenty million for each position, hundred and twenty five means you get twenty five. So if you go over twenty five million at a position, your other positions have to be way under. Which, you know, might be fine. And you have Donovan Mitchell at three point one million next year, so we have this great luxury where we should be able to do that. Jarebko's on the books at four million. And that can come off as well. So Jarebko at 4, Udo at 3.3, and Cephalosha at 5.2. And you can, that's 9, it's about 13 million, all of which you can release in clear space. And you don't get those players. Exum leaves, or you renounce Exum, you clear about another six and a half, seven million dollars of space. All, you know, Alec Burks is on space. On for 11.5 if you're able to move that, <clears throat> that's a possibility. So that's kind of where we sit. It The number moves and changes um, along the way. Uh, the nice thing is we don't have a single dollar sent to dead thing, uh, d- dead contracts. We've done a nice job with that along the way. Um, so we have some space, but there's just so many moving pieces it's really, really hard to def- define. Your first-round draft pick also takes some things, so that's kind of the way to look at it. What's interesting on this is who has cap space, um, and particularly when you start to look at, like, Derek Favors. So, and this will all change as time goes on, but right now, um, and they have – Sport Track does a nice job with this. That I would kind of um, – so – uh, cap. This is cap space with cap holds renounced if team salary is below the cap maximum. So in other words, if they denounce, if these teams denounce everyone that they have on their roster, um, they have this much space. 
Okay. So the Lakers would have $61 million. The Bulls would have $41 million. The 76ers could have 30, but that's J.J. Redick. Doesn't count J.J. Redick. Atlanta has 29. And think about Derek here. Does Derek fit in any of these teams? Uh, Sacramento would have $24 million. Dallas would have 23. That's an interesting one. DeAndre Jordan's out there also. Clint Capella's out there. Houston, it says they have 21, but they don't. They only have seven players in their contract. They have to sign Chris Paul and Clint Capella. Brooklyn, they're at 16. Orlando's at 15. Phoenix is at 13. Utah's at 11. And then the, the numbers can increase. Um, so, did anyone there seem like a likely landing spot for Derek Favors? Maybe Dallas. Maybe Brooklyn. Depending where they are and what they think he can do. How does that all play? Um, and then what does that mean that we do with Derek? I, I think it'll be a tough offseason for Derek. What players would be ideal to pursue to go with Donovan and Rudy? So I talked a lot about in yesterday's show about Donovan and Ricky and who's your third guard. Like somebody emailed me and said, what about Evan Fournier? It's a very interesting idea. Fournier's at, but Fournier's at $17 million. Um. And is he starting? And now Donovan's your one. I think you want to avoid that. Um, is he willing to come off the bench? I don't know if he's doing that. He's getting. He's got seventeen million on the year for this year, next year, the year after, and the year after that. It's an interesting. Like I think Evan Fournier is a really interesting name. He's a bona fide shooter. He's a fairly good driver. He stopped driving a little bit over the last few years. He's not quite done some things as as well as some others. Um, I think I think it's a really interesting. Would he be willing to be your sixth man? Is that another score? Could you, what could you do? And it's just an, it's an interesting. He's a high usage rate player. He's been the seventy fifth percentile of usage, but he's in the eighty fourth percentile of points per scoring attempt, which is really good. Um, he's uh, actually passes the ball um, a little bit, which is uh, surprising, um, particularly on a team that bad. He his percentage of shots. This is the concern on him. He used to be in the 81st percentile of rim shots. He went to 71 percentile two years ago, and last year he went to 49th percentile of shots at the rim. So Evan Fournier stopped going to the basket um, and started taking all sorts of mid-range shots he didn't used to take in the last two years. And that would be a big question of of what you have to look at. Then you look at just purely, you know, is he a good catch-and-shoot guy that could play off? And that's an interesting, so that's $17 million. That's an awful lot of money. What are you able to do there? What are you willing to give up? Um, I mean, I don't know. Like, would Orlando take Alec Burks in our first-round pick, and suddenly you have Evan Fournier, and now that actually is only $6 million more on the books for this year, and you have to deal with it for the future, and this is a guy who's a 95th percentile catch-and-shoot spot-up shooter in the NBA and pretty darn good on the pick-and-roll at 82. Like, that's pretty interesting to me. Like, that's – but you better figure out, like, how are you using him? Is he willing to be the sixth man? He started pretty much every game of his career. Is Joe Ingles suddenly willing to come off the bench and you're playing Fournier at the three? You're not very – you suddenly have gotten really un- athletic and I'm not sure he defends but those are the debates it's a very interesting conversation uh, but I think the team needs a third scorer and then I think the the other question is what kind of big are you playing next to Rudy I know we've proven that Rudy and Derek can work but if you actually look at it almost all the times we've had another big on the floor we've been better when we're smaller whether it's Derek or Rudy who's on the floor I'll, I'll 
print this whole thing out and get and get it done here at some point to show everybody that. And I think that's what gets really interesting. Um, uh, who are the couple of realistic free agents the Jazz should go after in the offseason should they re-sign Derek Favors? I, I think I don't have an answer to that question. I mean, I just don't. A little bit of what's Derek's marketplace is. Um, part of me feels like Derek's a one-year answer. You're still kind of in. I'm just not sure you can, with the way the league is trending, you can sign Derek to a multi-year deal where you commit to him being, you know, playing two bigs for the next three, four years while the rest of the league's doing something else. That's a, I don't know. I mean, I really don't know the answer to these questions, but that's a thought I have on it. It's very complicated, and I really kind of feel uh, for Dennis and, and the staff that has to try to figure these things out. It's, 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 you know, I act like this know-it-all, and it's great because I can talk about it on, on this podcast, but then if I ever have to make these decisions, we're talking about something that's a, a million times harder decision um, than anything else we're, you know, than anything else I've even tried. Uh, or even think about. Today's show is brought to you by Rad Concrete Coatings. Rad Concrete Coatings is a Utah company. Mike started it 17 years ago. I kind of love this about Mike. When I was talking about Rad Concrete Coatings, I'm like, so why? Like, why would someone use Rad Concrete Coatings? And he says, you know what? They're not going to use us because we're the cheapest. If they want the cheapest, they're going to go get someone else. They're going to use us because we're the best. We have the best applicators. When We go to the world of concrete every single year. And so we have the latest, greatest stuff. And we have the most choices. And we're going to do the best work. And you can see that when you see his work at the Parade of Homes every year. There will be eight homes in the Utah Parade of Homes this year that have rad concrete coating work in it. Whether it's waterproof deck coatings, garage floor coatings, even waterproof garage, concrete overlays, driveway resurfacings, you know, that salt death we experience that's what they do radconcretecoatings.com and radutah.com yeah he was honest about it you know what we're not the cheapest but we're the best my first employee's been with me for since day one for 17 years we have the best applicators around that's who i go find and make sure they do a great work and we have the best selection anyone out there check it out radconcretecoatings.com or radutah.com there's a contact form to put in a bid and then mike will get back to you today's show is also brought to you by mazuma usa.com mazuma is a neat company here's mazuma's angle on it mazuma has been able to hire a bunch of bookkeepers and cpas and what they're able to do is have those bookkeepers and cpas work full-time on multiple different companies You then get them for the smaller percentage of time, which is what you actually need, and then they make their money because they're employing these people and they get a percentage, right? It works. So if you have one to five employees and you're not using Mazuma, you're losing money in clarity. Every 12 months, we hate dealing with the books and all that stuff. They take care of this. For $75 a month, and actually less if you use the promo code LOCKED, you get a bookkeeper and a CPA dedicated to you. It doesn't change all the time. It's your person. Your first call is with those people, and they stay with you throughout the whole time. They're going to fill out your reports for you every month. They're going to give you quarterly tax calls, and they're going to give you personal and business tax returns as well. Your first call, you set up that orientation. The first sets of reports come right away, and it continues to roll. There's no contract. You can cancel at any times, and there's no hidden fees. It's MazumaUSA.com. Call 801-980-2102. That's 801-980-2102. Free consultation, 801-980-2102. And remember, promo code LOCKED. Let's get back to your Thursday questions. They've been really good today. Now that the season over, is it possible to trade for restricted free agent rights of a player? No, it is not. Um, but I appreciate Michael Van Orden, who knows that I am at wit's end with Jabari Parker questions. 
Um, and I probably should just do a whole show on Jabari Parker at some point in time. Because I, I don't even – Jabari Parker and Dante Exum, I joked with Danny LaRue on his podcast, should, maybe the Jazz and the Bucks should just trade players. Because I don't even know on either of them what I think. I mean, honestly, the numbers on Jabari are pretty awful. Right? You've got, like, one of the highest usage rate players in the league who's low efficiency. Like, that's not a great combination. But, so we'll do we'll do a Jabari show. He's 23 years old. We'll figure it out. Uh, but I like that Michael snuck around that. If the Cavs lose and assuming LeBron leaves, how available is Kevin Love in your mind? What's the cost, and is he the best fit at the four spot possible for the Jazz? He might be. You've got to think, you know, you watch him run, though. Again, I think, goodness gracious. I mean, part of me, like, in the back of my mind, thinks it would be, like, really cool to be in one of these front office jobs. And then you think about that it would be real, and you'd actually have to do it. And you'd have to make these decisions. And, like, so I think Kevin Love probably, yes. And he got bet, he had a great year this year. He was elite in all sorts of ways and did all sorts of things. And, and there's no, like, kind of that I found on him. We'll do Maybe I'll do a Kevin. All right, I'm going to write this down. Jabari show, Love show. Um, you know, he's, he has stopped going to the rim since he his last year in Minnesota, which is a little nerve-wracking. But um, he's also... You know, shoots the highest rate of threes about anybody in his position, so he's a pure stretch. You've got Rudy Gobert, so you should be able to cover up his defense. Yeah, I think he probably, he's 29, he shouldn't totally fall off. Yes, have you seen him run? Have you watched him run the floor? Watch him run the floor tonight and tell me you're willing to sign him. I mean, seriously. Watch him run the floor and then tell me you're willing to pay him. It looks it's painful to watch. But if LeBron leaves, they have serious cap problems. Love is at $24 million. We probably, if you do a deal in some way, are, and he's at 24 the next year and 24 the year, 25 the year after, maybe in some ways you can do something with him because of the fact you have Donovan. But yes, I think, I think there's a real chance that that's a, as good a fit as you can get. Can you introduce me to Randy Reinsbacher? Yeah, I think this we all should just do lunch. Um, I've seen some stories online that mention Greg Monroe as somebody who could possibly fit here. I always thought Greg Monroe would be great here. Um, he would have to just, but he's not, he's not a defensive player at all. Um, but Brad Stevens has used him creatively. He's an unrestricted free agent next year. I don't think he'll have any marketplace at all. And so his his dollar figure gets low enough, and there's probably something there. He's a good passer. Um, he does not have range on his shot. He is only an around-the-basket player. Um, he lost his efficiency in the last few years or just became average. Um, but... I mean, he's got no stretchability, but he's, it's interesting. He he could be a really cheap backup to Rudy Gobert and might be interesting, but he has I, – I part of me would like our five to be able to stretch or just be as equally great defensively as Rudy. One of the two things. I'd like our five to be able to go five out or be equally as good defensively as Rudy. And maybe Udo's – and then that's Udo. Um, I'm assuming you haven't looked at much of the draft. No, I'm going to get my names to look at coming up here. Mudside cookies every day. You bet, Alex. I think you're the one who tweeted me and you went yesterday. It was great. By the way, did everybody see on my Twitter that this 
Jeff from the store sent me like this tweet that's this amazing deal on cookies at the store. I probably should retweet it today. It's in, you know, because I have Twitter Tourette syndrome. Next time you're on the show with this tweet and buy one mudslide and get one free, up to six f- free cookies. So you buy 12, a dozen cookies, get them half price at the store. That was pretty, like, cool. Uh, would Jabari f- uh, Parker fit? Says Nick Fowers. Nick didn't know that I go nuts every time I get a Jabari question. Um, I will look at it for you. If the Cavs would have traded for Favors and Hood instead of Nance and Clarkson, would they be better? Yes, because Derek's better. But I and he's better than Tristan Thompson. Uh, I know we'll have to figure that out starting power forward next year. Do you think the other four starters are set right now? I'm assuming any free agents we sign or trades we're making this offseason end up replacing. It, it seems hard to replace Rubio and Ingles when they're as much the heart of the third best team in the NBA. We might be the third best team in the NBA, by the way. Like, I really think that's something, like, we might be the third best team. These other two are great. We're not anywhere close to the Rockets and Warriors. But we, I talked to someone the other day who said he'd favor the Jazz over the Celtics in the NBA Finals. I think Boston should trade Jalen Brown and Kyrie Irving for Anthony Davis to make a real run at the title. We would make a big trade if the opportunity arose. I mean, I I think Boston's interesting because they have so many players, and I think there's an absolute chance they do something of that sort. Um, do you see how the DeMarcus Cousins stopped following the Pelicans on Instagram? Interesting. Dun, 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 dun. Any possibility of Gordon Hayward getting shipped to New Orleans for DeMarcus or Anthony Davis? I think Gordon's untradeable until he plays. Um, how do Donovan's numbers differ when point guard versus... Two, I'd have to look at it more. You can just see that his game's completely off the bounce and straight away. Whereas if he's playing off the ball, he can catch some catch and shoots, which he's great. Play off the ball, come off some down screens. It's a better match for him. Since Hayward's favorite player was Ginobili, could you see him winning the sixth man of the year next award? Stevens have him coming off the bench. I don't think Gordon's ready for that in his career. Uh, do you think Dennis Lindsay's going to be way aggressive this offseason? Way. I think he's going to be way, Eric. <laughs> Or just make minor tweaks and re-sign our free agents and hope to improve that way. I think Dennis will be on his toes and ready, and the landscape is going to be crazy. I think this offseason is going to be absolutely insane with significant major deals. LeBron's the first domino everyone's going to watch. But the minute LeBron goes, everyone on Cleveland's available. I think everyone on Washington's available right now. I think I think Milwaukee's going to want to make some changes. I think, you know, I, I think there's a bunch of free agents that are out there with no money. And so teams are trying to fix their teams without any money, and you're going to have trades and moves. It's, I think it's going to be insane. And on that note, that wraps up Locked On Jazz, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Go to LockedOnSports.com for all the Locked On podcasts, or go to LockedOnJazz.net for the latest here. Thank you very much. Appreciate it.